so that we have time to ask Dylan the questions we want. Uh, you might, we might want to say, uh, give a special thank you to the uh, staff here uh, who made that lovely chocolate snake cake. It, it, I think that's great that they went to extra effort to do that for us today. Uh, another couple of things. Uh, for our next, uh, next session, next week, on the 7th of November, we are having uh, Irrigation is the Economic Lifeblood of Southern Alberta and its Agriculture. How much water will you use today? Can technology support increased efficiency? Oh, thank you very much for the cake. <laughs> uh, the speaker for the uh, next week one is Terence, uh, I guess I should put one, Lazarus. So that should be an interesting uh, uh, topic. Uh, tonight, the Legion, apparently, is having a special family Halloween event starting, well, not tonight, this afternoon at 4 p.m., and uh, so families are welcome, and, uh, and I suppose if you aren't a family, you could still come, because you could get candies, and you could see the movie Shrek. So at 4 p.m., that's what's going on here in, in, uh, in the Legion. Um, this is now our time for uh, our question and answer period. A reminder that uh, you uh, need to say your name, keep your... Uh, Preamble short and to the point, and ask your questions. And uh, uh, I think uh, we've had quite an interesting sharing at our table. So I'll invite Dylan to come forward and and uh, and answer your questions and be respectful of him, uh, or he'll give you a hard time. Hello, Dylan. Thanks for coming. Your name? Uh, <laughs> I, Ma Mary was pretty clear. Name, short preamble, question. Knudy. Peterson. Go ahead, Nud. <laughs> Dylan, uh, I happen to know that you ran a uh, Marathon in Edmonton in your, not in your... In, in this shirt, exactly. In this exact shirt, I ran oh, two marathons. Oh, I thought you had the pants on. Well, I, I, I had the pants, and I, like a true Superman fan, I had the underwear over the leggings. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, and you met someone along the way who, uh, either you inspired him or he inspired you. Can you tell that little story about the, uh, the fella that was uh, well, I don't about, know just about ready to, but as soon as he saw Superman, right? That's Superman. when he perked up. Sure, sure, that's what it was. I don't know if any of you noticed, but I'm not built like someone who should run a marathon. Prob I'll, I'll give you a look here. I do not look like I should be running for four and a half hours, but uh, I attended the Edmonton Marathon four years ago. Four years ago, I, I, I was running in the Edmonton Marathon. I had a terrible bout of sciatica the night before. 
And it, it, whenever I run these things, I dress up like an idiot. I don't know if you've noticed, I have a propensity for dressing up like an idiot. Uh, well, this time I wore this shirt uh, with a long red cape coming off it. Um, blue leggings, bright blue leggings, and, and a pair of red shorts, effectively, over top of those blue leggings. And, and I, I looked ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. And I'm not that fast. And again, you can see what I look like. I did not look much different than this. So there was probably too much of me shaking around as I ran. But uh, as I turned a corner, I turned a right corner. And, and a fellow that had been a tall fellow who looked like he should be way faster than he was, was beside me. And, and I turned right, and he kept going straight. And, and this, this lovely young woman went chasing him. And she's like, sir, sir, you're going the wrong way. And I was like, wow. Like, I'm tired, but I'm not so tired that I missed a turn. So I, I looped back thinking maybe there was some medical distress. So I, I came back and, and the fellow said, he said, well, I was following that, that fluttering cape and then I lost it and I just kept going straight. He was, he's blind, he was blind. His name is, his name is Greg Tong and he was, he's running his, he was running his 59th, I think, full marathon blind. Guy was amazing. Like, yeah, I was dressed as Superman, that's a joke. This guy was Superman, uh, he, legally blind, so he could see about four feet in front of him in pinhole black and white vision. So when I say he could see four feet in front of him, that means he can't see the ground unless he stoops over because he was like six foot five. And, but what he could see was this fat moron in a Superman outfit and his cape flapping. Now my cape was not flapping because the speed I was running, there was a breeze, okay? I was definitely not making that, that cape flap. Like unless the jiggling kept the cape going. I, I try not to think about it too much. It depresses me. But so what happened was, because I was in this ludicrously mobile outfit, he could see my cape, the movement of my cape. And as I said, I, I was not running very well that day. And neither was he. And so I said to him, I said, well, I'll just run with you. He said, well, run with me for an hour and then you know, we'll, we'll stop. So we ran together for an hour and I realized that he was effortlessly running this marathon and I was slowly dying. And we, 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 we alternately inspired each other and, and made each other laugh. He was a very funny guy, he told me the story of, he ran a, a, a marathon in Afghanistan where there had been some sort of horrible incident with some Dutch tourists shortly before that. And so they said, you've got to stay on track and he didn't have a guide and he took a wrong turn clearly and suddenly a van filled with men with guns pulled up in front of him and rolled the side door open. And he said he collapsed to the ground, put his hands over his head and yelled, please don't shoot, please don't shoot, I'm Canadian. And, and the first fellow out of the, van, out of the van said, sir, sir, you're off track. We're going to put you back on the race. <laughs> so he apologized, you know, in very Canadian fashion the entire way back onto the race and said, and said he, he finished that race running really hard because he felt like he knew everyone looked at him and thought, look at that big white racist. So he, he, has, he had this amazing story and we got to the final stretch, the final stretch of the Edmonton Marathon takes you straight downtown, skyscrapers on both sides and embarrassingly for me, my family waiting near the finish line. And, and I was in really bad shape by this time and we stopped at a water station and I looked at him and I said, I said, Greg, like it's a straight shot from here you can go on without me. And he goes, no, no, I'm, I'm not going on without you. And I was like, wow, like that's, what, what a guy, we just met. We've been running together for a couple of hours, but we don't know each other and he's gonna wait until I've recovered enough to continue running. And, 
we started running again and he said to me, yeah, he said, with these skyscrapers, with all the light dark transitions, I can't see a thing. So he was less, you know, wanting to finish the run with me and more thinking he couldn't finish the run without me. It was his slowest marathon time, I'm happy to report. Um, he, I, I noticed three weeks after that, he finished the Vancouver Marathon in his best time ever. That was his last marathon. His eyesight completely failed him shortly after that. Um, although, I have it on very good authority, he ran four more half marathons after that. And in one of them, in one of them, he wore a Superman shirt. I thought that was pretty good. I felt pretty good about that one. And, and again, that's the commercialization of my hobby because these are actually um, shirts intended to be run in and they're made of a breathable fiber. Like when I was a kid, I could get heavy cotton shirts and that's it. Bev Mundell Atherstone. Thank you very much. That was very humorous. Um, maybe we should get you to come speak at the NDP convention. You know, that was really, oh. that was fun. Well, I have, I have some NDP jokes if anyone would like to hear them. <laughs> I think we heard a lot. Okay, uh, you mentioned that you're a nerd. Um, when I was a kid, nerd had a different connotation. You know, it was the kids getting straight A's in math and science and stuff. Because we didn't have all these uh, Dungeon and Dragon games, all that stuff. But um, I do watch Big Bang Theory, so I kind of have a little... A little link into uh, the gaming culture through that and through my grandkids. So I'm wondering, um, is it really gender-based? Like, um, are there like 10,000 men to every one woman who's involved in gaming? Would that be sort of the ratio you would, uh, you would find in your stores? That was probably true once upon a time. And, and I would say certain things are definitely weighted very heavily towards the male. Um, but uh, you mentioned Dungeons and Dragons, and Dungeons and Dragons, where I work anyway, is the most diverse game that we have. The most diverse audience purchases Dungeons and Dragons books. And, and I think part of the, the reason that, e even in my mind, I always think that these are really male-dominated fields is we just don't see the, the, the women and the young girls who get involved in this and participate in it. And I can tell you this, there's a, there's a sea change coming. I am seeing it every day, every year, more and more. Young girls are finding themselves and finding a voice by playing these games and by participating in these things. And they're, they're maybe not the girls that, that play volleyball or basketball or hockey or anything like that, but they're the ones that that want to sit with their friends and enjoy some time, that want to build a costume. Uh, the, there's a young girl, who, she works at Staples, and she comes to our store all the time. She goes to comic book conventions and all these different things, and she wears and creates these elaborate costumes. Now, it started with Halloween. She started making her own Halloween costumes, but she is a seamstress only because she wants to make costumes with it. She builds these beautiful, I, I have a store-bought hat with horns on it, she has built this elaborate, just physics-defying set of horns for, for a, a television character she wants to become. And, and she's one of a hundred I could name. And, and where the change comes, and the reason some of these things are male-dominated is because they were, they were created by men. They, they were, these games were designed by men while women didn't work in those fields. That's changing, and it's rapidly changing. One example is in comic books is the biggest example. In comic books, there was a time when every comic book was a guy that looks like me. For every Black Panther, there were a thousand white dudes. 
And that's changing. And it's changing because of that corporate culture because Disney bought Marvel Comics. So the Avengers, everything owned by Disney. Disney promptly told them, create us a character that is female and a person of color. So they created a character called Kamala Khan, Miss Marvel. They gave her an old superhero's name, Miss Marvel. It's a little, it's a little demeaning, but trust me, it gets better. But Kamala Khan, and they made her a Muslim woman, and they made her a young kid with parents, and they hired, and this is what blows me away, a, a, a person of color, a Muslim, a woman, and they actually hired a Muslim woman to write it. That's what's amazing, because normally comic books are written by guys that look like me, whether they're about women or people of color or anything. They're written by guys that grew up like me and that look like me. So Kamala Khan's comic book, brilliant, runaway success. Very good comic book, great superhero comic book. She's really fun. And there are a few moments of authenticity. And, and, and one of them is she's in her superhero best. She runs past a deli. And in her head, she thinks, oh, bacon, why do you smell so good? Now, I laughed at that because that's pretty funny because as you can see from looking at me, I love bacon. And it's, it's a funny line, but is it an authentic line? So I have, we, we have a, a few customers that would share an upbringing with Kamala Khan. They would understand it. One of them is a, is a, is a Muslim fellow. And he said his favorite part of her comic is when she looked at this deli and went, oh, bacon, why do you smell so good? Why do you smell so tempting? Because Abdella told me, he said, he thinks exactly the same, th same thing every time he passes bacon. So there's a moment of authenticity there. And then we have another fellow. He's the, he's the son of Punjab immigrants. He is, um, he is a Sikh man. And, and he, he read this comic and the exchange between Kamala, who is herself the, son of the, the daughter of immigrants, right? There's an exchange between her and her parents. And this customer told me, he said, I could hear my dad's voice echoing in my head. And what that does for me as, you know, again, middle-class white guy, it lets me breathe easily because G. Willow Wilson, the writer of this comic book, who is a Muslim woman herself, is giving me authentic moments, things that now I can understand. Now I see that authenticity. It gives me a perspective that I didn't have if I didn't read that comic, a perspective I wouldn't have if they didn't hire a Muslim woman to, hire, to, read the, to write the comic. If they hired a guy like me, it would be filled with silly jokes. But they didn't. They hired a Muslim woman to write it. And so that's changing. And we're, I, I mean, I think in the next three or four years, we're really going to see more and more women step up. But it is probably the best thing I see in a day is when a, a young girl walks into the store and says, yeah, I'm looking for a comic book. Or they know about comic books. They've got history with, with board games and things like that. Because I will tell you what, the barrier for entry for a young girl to these nerdy hobbies is a lot higher than the barrier, the barrier of entry for people like me. Right? It, it, is, it is difficult for a girl to say, yeah, I like Dungeons and Dragons. But man, they are doing it at a record-setting rate, and it's fantastic. I will I give you one more thing, Beth. The creators of Dungeons and Dragons, Wizards of the Coast, owned by Hasbro. Hasbro, big company, right? Doesn't want to rock the boat. The creators of Dungeons and Dragons said unequivocally that if you have a problem with women at your table, if you have a problem with gender fluid characters or gender fluid people at your character, they said unequivocally, maybe Dungeons and Dragons isn't the game for you. That to me heralds a better world, right? Compassion, inclusion, these are the things we're striving for. Sure, Hasbro tells them to do it because it makes them money. It's new markets. But boy, I'll tell you, it's still good to hear. That segues to my second question. Do you see more collaborative games coming on the market? 
because it seems like they were all war games with winners and losers. Well, that's so, so Dungeons and Dragons outsells every other board game on the planet right now. Even Monopoly, but then Monopoly stalled a bit because it's a million years old. But Dungeons and Dragons, if you consider Dungeons and Dragons a board game, which when you're deep in the nerd life like me, you don't. But Dungeons and Dragons outsells all of them. And Dungeons and Dragons is a cooperative game. There are six people at the table. They are all working to tell a story. They're not trying to win. They're not trying to succeed. They're not trying to be rich. They're trying to play as these characters in a world of their own creation. So it is as cooperative a game that exists. But when you look at it, if you're ever in my store, Showcase Comics and Hobbies, 1271, 3rd Avenue South. If you're ever in my, I had to do that. If you're ever in my store, we have a giant wall of board games. And in that wall of board games, I would say more than a third of them are cooperative, not competitive games. People working together to solve puzzles, things like that. It's like, the, I, I'm heartened by the rise of escape rooms because escape rooms are a bunch of people working together to get out of a room. I mean, I wish I'd have had that when I was a kid and my parents grounded me. I had no one to help me. I'd have shimmy out of that window all by myself. But it, it's, it, it's, it, it's Bev's right. If you're not the kind, and, and this is what, what, again, this is inclusion. People that don't want to play competitive games, that don't want to lose a game, there's games for you. There's, there's games and comics for everybody. There's, there's, some, there's a passion for you in there if you want to take it. Thank you for your presentation. Larry Elford, we've got a gamer at our table and some political discussion, and, and I wanted to hear your take on any connections you see between the characters in the gaming world and the characters in our politics and uh, <coughs> the drama versus the entertainment and which one is real and which one is not, if you could share I, that. I'm far more frightened by like real world villains. Like, I'm, and I'm not gonna say, ah, I'm, I've taken cheap shots at Jason Kenney, I take cheap shots at politicians. I'm not gonna say he's a real world, real world villain. I mean, I think his record speaks for itself. Um, <laughs> I, I am gonna say though that um, that's a good point and, and a lot of these pursuits, there are board games that mimic real life, that, that try, to, try to make you enact real life situations. There's a wonderful board game about the Cuban Missile Crisis that is basically just two people on opposite sides of a table pushing their luck until the world ends. And usually that's what happens is the world ends and that always lets me know that it takes a, an effort of humanity to not to end the planet. But there are a lot of stories that draw clear parallels to some of the, the horrible things that happen in the world. Um, a lot of these hobbies that I've talked about today are escapism, right? Uh, the, you know, it's that, what, what is it, correlation isn't causation. Just because one thing happens at the, at the same time another thing happens, they're not necessarily, there's no causal relationship between them. So I, I don't think that like, violence in board games, and there are certainly a lot of violent board games, violence in video games. I, I don't see real world connections because I, I see the kids, the one thing I have to give young people credit for is they're amazing at separating fantasy from reality. They understand it so much better than say, you know, parents of some of my friends did who were maybe a little more secular than my parents um, and didn't let their kids play Dungeons and Dragons. I, I mean, look, we didn't really think we were gonna fight a dragon. Who knew that you know, a real troll would someday take over the province and now we're all thinking, what do we do? <laughs> you know, I filled out a ballot, that's all I can do. I don't have a shield and a sword. I don't have any, I've got no magic powers, I've just got the cool robe that my wife let me buy. But, but it, it, it is true that for kids, 
like you see it when you read in the newspaper and when you read articles online or when you listen to the news, there's a lot of, para people like to draw parallels between bad guys in real life and bad guys in fantasy. And I can tell you something as, you know, the lifelong nerd that I am, I roll my eyes at that because the real world villains are always worse. People that would disenfranchise uh, people on assisted income and things like that. that that's, that's true evil, right? Disregarding people who live on the fringe. Uh, it, it's, it's a reality is that when you play these games, you're, it's, it's a fantasy, it's play acting. And most of the people I know that play a lot of these games when they leave playing these games, they're compassionate, loving people. But man, sometimes when they're playing these board games, they are ruthless jerks. And yet, compassionate, loving people when they step away. Well, thank you for being here, Dylan. My name is Terry. I'm married to a recycling can. Did you not have a costume earlier, Terry? <laughs> Pardon? Did you not have a costume? The, the, the hat is too small for my head. Oh, the head was too big for the hat. Anyway, I, I grew up uh, reading uh, a couple of uh, my favorite cartoons where comic uh, books were uh, Superman and Uncle Scrooge. I think I read every comic book on Uncle Scrooge with his three nephews, yeah. Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Um, I wonder uh, uh, if uh, increasingly our games have a dark side and a violent side. And but I, th I'm asking that from the outside. I'm interested in your perspective from what you're seeing happening. Are we increasingly uh, dark and gloomy in our games? Yes. Like, yes, we are. But part of that is because there's more games. If you're looking for dark and gloomy, it's there. And, and it's easy to see. There are a lot. Comic books, in the, in the late 1980s, comic books took a turn towards the dark. We've all seen, if you've ever seen any of those Batman movies that have come out lately, they're violent and horrifying and and Batman never seems to use his brain, which was always his real superpower, was you know being a rich white guy and smart. Um, they have, like everything else, they've taken this turn towards the dark side. Spe speaking of things that have gotten like darker as we've gotten older, did anybody follow coverage of the federal election? I, we live in this like wry, sarcastic, dark world, and I'm certainly a part of it. If you don't know if you heard me making fun of the NDP table, and I'm sorry for those sitting with Bev at her table. Any table Bev is sitting at is instantly the NDP table. Because as I said earlier, pumpkins weren't orange until Bev came along. <laughs> but, but comic books certainly have taken a turn to the dark. Um, board games, eh, less so board games, but that's also a fairly new medium. They're, they're about 10 to 12 years in. And while there's dark ones, there's a lot more sort of uplifting ones. But the, the comic book thing, what, what I always tell people is, is that this is why I exist is so that if you're not looking for a dark, violent comic book, just come ask me, I will find you that. For example, the beautiful thing about technology and, and, and Disney is they reprint all those Uncle Scrooge comics. All the Huey, Dewey, and Louie comics are available and in print, whereas for about 35 years, they were not. And, and so if you're looking for the, for the, the better things in life, you've just, they're there, I'll show them to you. It, it's, it's, it's there to be had, and if you want something a little dark and gritty once in a while, that's there too. But uh, if you're like Terry and you're looking to grab and, and, and get back those, those memories of when you were a kid, uh, it's there. It's just, yeah, like the rest of the world, we, we tend towards the, we're humans, we tend towards the dark side. Hi, Dylan, my name's Lori Schultz. Thank you very much for your presentation. Um, a few months back, I heard a CBC interview um, about a Hugo Award being granted to AO3 fan fiction. 
So my question, um, as I understand, I wonder if you can just comment on it, what the purpose is. I understand it, that um, someone who is, you know, loves a marble, maybe they can write their own ending or, or rewrite it. But if you can comment on, on that and just where fan fiction is coming in, if you see that here in Lethbridge, at your store. Oh, oh, do we ever. Yeah. Everybody does this. I did this. I think I was in about grade six. I had a teacher, Mrs. Hubert. She had no idea about comic books. She had no idea what a superhero was. So I essentially rehashed the plot from one of my favorite comic books into a creative writing assignment. Now, remember I said I was worked at a newspaper? I'm a really good writer. I was just being a, a jerk. This was just me going, you know what, let's see if I can do this. And so I, I essentially rewrote the plot to a comic book. I scripted out a comic book and, and submitted it as a story. But I, as I started writing it, I was changing things. And I was like, no, 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 I want, I want Captain America to do this because, you know, he shouldn't just sit in the sidelines. And I changed the, so by the time I was done, it was a completely original story about completely unoriginal characters with a completely unoriginal premise. But it was this, this amazing evolution of what the story was. And, and that's what fan fiction is. Fan fiction is some goober like me step, jumping online and writing a story about pre-existing characters. Did, and does anybody remember the, the, those terrible Twilight books? And ter art is subjective. That's, Twilight books were really good. Yeah, they're probably lame. But does anyone remember the Twilight books? Because the Twilight books gave rise to the Fifty Shades books. The Fifty Shades books, and I will not read that smut, but the Fifty Shades books were fan fiction for Twilight. So, so this woman read the Twilight books and went, well, this does not go far enough. I need a dungeon. And so she wrote fan fiction based on that. And then a publisher went, hey, I think I can sell this, but not as a Twilight novel. Make your own book. So she changed, you know, probably did a find and replace, changed a few things, and all of a sudden she's a multi-millionaire. So while I'm sometimes quick to disregard fan fiction, I I'm also a parent. And if my kids are writing or reading, boy, I'll tell you, if you've ever seen your kid pounding away at a keyboard writing a story that is original or not that original, it doesn't matter. Just watching your kids type and write and create, it's amazing. It's the most amazing thing when your kids are creating stuff. And, and so I would say whether your kid is taking apart the electronics in one of his toys or typing out fan fiction, I mean, keep an eye and make sure it doesn't stray into weird territory, but encourage it because it's, it's the act of creation, right? And no novelist has ever made a dime writing unless they actually write something. So the first step is always write something. And if, if you're a fan of something, it inspires you to post it on a website, go ahead. I don't know that you should win a Hugo Award for it, but at the same time, man, who should win a Hugo Award? Hey, I'm Colton, fellow nerd. <laughs> oh, I could tell. Thanks. In your opinion, do you think certain aspects of gaming will get phased out as the industry evolves? Yeah, you know what's getting phased out? Misogyny. This, this horrible, not just an, and it's not just anonymous online misogyny, it's, it's this sort of anti-woman, remember the little rascals? Look, ah, I love Sackpaw. Sackpaw's old enough to know who the little rascals are. Oh man, when I'm at my store, nobody remembers the little rascals, but Sackpaw remembers. So the little rascals, remember the He-Man Woman Haters Club, right? They hung the sign, no girls allowed, stuff like that. I mean, I had a treehouse when I was growing up that actually had a sign that said no girls allowed. 
mostly because the girls were taller than us and used to beat us up. <laughs> Horrible bullies, that's what they were. But, but as I see this change in, in, you know, and again, the commercialization, because what's happening is these big companies are realizing that, okay, we've cornered the fat old guy graphic. We've cornered that 40-something guy who's played Nintendo his whole life. That's done. They've got me. The hooks are in. Like, I'm not going to stop buying this stuff. So they need new markets. And what are those new markets? Well, as Bev said, right, most of these nerdy properties are primarily men. Well, your next biggest demographic is women. So you've got to find a way to make your games appeal to women. And you don't do that with these large-breasted bimbos bouncing around, filling out male power fantasies. That's not how you do it. So now you've got to have nuanced female characters. Ooh, there's a concept. And I'm going to get some hate at the store if anyone listens to this, because we have a few guys that don't believe women should be involved in these hobbies. But we are going to see an evolution. Uh, the new Star Wars movies, the, the hero, the main hero is a woman. This is, I mean, don't get me wrong, there are people outraged about it, but who cares? Disney realized this is our next big market. This is, the, this is the next frontier. What after that? Well, after that, remember I told you about Dungeons and Dragons and their policy about inclusion and how on social media all their designers unequivocally have said, homophobic, get out of our game. Go play something else. Can you imagine saying that to one of your largest demographics, homophobes? Imagine that. You're telling them, yeah, we don't want you playing. We want these people playing because they see, even though these businesses are horrible, conservative operations that want to just squeeze all your money, they see that this is, these are the markets. That a game that appeals to everyone appeals to everyone. And eventually the angry nerd who's mad at the world and hates women and, and hates anyone different than him, he's eventually going to come around because he wants to play Dungeons and Dragons. And so he's going to emerge and he's going to come play Dungeons and Dragons. But the truth is, that's, that's what I think is the next thing to go in gaming. Not violence, because like I said, people know the difference between make-believe violence and real violence. People know the difference between making decisions in a board game and making decisions when you're, you know, the premier of a, of a province. It's getting rid of this just me. This is just for me, this covetous, this covetous nature that a lot of nerds have. And, and look at me. I look like that angry nerd. I, I, I have had that impulse of, oh, well, Dungeons and Dragons was kind of my thing. But man, as you see other people and the whole world start to embrace these hobbies of yours, your eyes open, you go, oh no, this is, this is a much better place. One more question and your answer has to be very short. I'll be really short. Just a quick question, Dylan. <clears throat> Do you see a new superhero emerging south of the border since uh, uh, I won't say the name, but he took personal credit for getting rid of the ISIS leader. Do you see that uh, possibility that he might emerge as, an, as a new superhero? So you, you talk about, we talk about real life villains. About, oh man, it must have been 20, 22 years ago, Lex Luthor in the comic books became president of the United States. Except for the fact that he cut the brakes in his parents' car, it is, ex there is a, a graphic novel called Luther, and it's all about Lex Luthor's life. And shortly after it came out, he became president in the continuity of the comic books. It so closely mirrors the rise of Donald Trump, it's not even funny. It's weird. Crazy pronouncement, Luther slowly started to lose his mind and, and, and do crazy things, and there was this segment of the American public that was all for it, and Superman just kept shouting at people, going, don't you see what he is, don't you see what he is? The downside is Superman is made up and apparently Lex Luthor is not.
that quick enough? We usually ask our, our uh, speaker to come up with a question that he, he wants us to go away with and think about. So, Dylan, here's your opportunity. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep this short, Annalise, because you look angry. She always looks so angry. She always she glares at me all the time. I gave her a snake. She's still mad at me. <laughs> Go away with this one. I, whether you're a knitter or, or you tinker in your garage or no matter what you do, those are your hobbies, those are your passions. Anytime you see someone doing something that isn't your passion, just, just think about and think about it as you watch kids running around in the street or playing video games. Just remember, that's their passion. That's the thing they're tinkering with. As I say, I'm incredibly privileged. Twice I've made my passions into my career. I make money off doing this stuff. But just remember that this is what brings your, your grandson or your son or your daughter or your granddaughter or your brother or your sister. This is what brings them happiness. This is what fills the holes in their lives. It, it, it's good for them. It's good for us all to have passions, but it's even better if you indulge those passions. So. You know, enjoy your knitting, enjoy your tinkering in the garage, enjoy your home improvement projects, enjoy your board games, your comic books, your movies. It just, just enjoy it and, and don't ever, ever be ashamed of enjoying those things. Mm -hmm. A big thank you to Dylan. Yeah.